Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Talel Jabari. He is the producer and director of a new documentary that you all must buy and watch called Full Signal, The Hidden Cost of Cell Phones. It is going to wake you up, as it did me, about what is happening with the proliferation of millions and millions of cell phone towers and antennas. He's going to talk to us today about how the science has been framed and the actual cell phone companies have set the standards without any concern about our health. He interviewed people all over the world in many different countries and researched the numerous health impacts that are happening. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Lel Jabari to It's Rainmaking Time. Good evening to you there. Hi, thank you, Kim. I think the first thing I want to ask you is why did you get into this subject? Right before I started getting into this subject, I actually had two cell phones on two different networks so that I could get coverage wherever I was. The irony is a few months before I made the film, I was complaining to my carrier that I wasn't getting good service. I wasn't getting a very good signal on my phone. And they reassured me that the tower would be going up in my neighborhood soon. At the time, I was very happy that I would be getting full signal. A few months later, my wife gave birth to our first child. And I don't know, something inside me as a new parent being a little perhaps overprotective in some respects. I decided to research what I had heard from a lot of people. You know, things that seemed to me like crazy talk, essentially. I decided to go and research it and discovered that there was something actually serious going on here. There is this risk and that there is independent science that shows that there is a a risk associated with this technology. As a filmmaker and as a journalist, I felt it was my job, my duty to then make this public. And so we, we went ahead and made this film to try and bring the awareness of this problem to the general public. People who, like myself, back then, don't know much about what's going on other than the fact that they want good cell signal on their phone. Have you typically done films that have to do with activism-type scenarios? No. Being in the Middle East and being from the Middle East, the majority of my filmmaking career has been about the conflict. There are so many ways, unfortunately, that you can cover the, the Middle East conflict, and I've covered them in more ways than one. And so this was the first activism international documentary that I did. It actually started off as a regional documentary. I was thinking locally. I wanted to make a film about what's affecting people here besides the conflict. But when I went through the research and found out that this was such an international issue, that it's affecting absolutely every last person on the face of this earth, whether you have a cell phone or whether you don't, it's affecting you. And more so in third world countries where landlines are almost non-existent. When I discovered this, when I discovered that everyone's being affected, I thought it would be a waste of energy on my part as a filmmaker to make a local film. And that's why I went to 10 different countries to make this film. I spoke to all these different experts internationally who are are world-renowned in their fields because I felt it was necessary, because this topic is so big, and because it affects us in the way it does. Talk to us about the countries you went to. Can you name them? I started off here in Israel and Palestine covering the issue to a small extent. I covered a village which is in the north of Israel. It's actually an Arab village. This is where I started. I got in touch with an Israeli researcher, Dr. Zamir Shalita, and this whole segment actually appears at the end of the film. Right. Uh, 
but this is my starting point. I then went over to the States because cell phones are obviously spreading like wildfire in the U.S. It's such a big country. It has such a big impact. I mean, a lot of advertising comes from the States. So, so I decided the States would be my next destination. I visited about six or seven different states, speaking to experts, some who appear in the film, some who don't appear in the film. And then I went over to Sweden, spoke to Professor Leif Salford there and to Professor Ole Johansson. Two people who have been researching this topic for years. Leif Salford is a neurosurgeon, and he talks about how he's seeing an increase in brain tumors. Professor Ole Johansson is one of the first people to do research on this topic back in the 80s. I couldn't do a film without speaking to one of the oldest researchers in this field. From the time you knew that you were going to have to go international, like to Canada, the U.S., to Sweden, the issue of raising the money was the next concern, wasn't it? When, when we started off this film, uh, we decided that we wouldn't try to raise money because to raise money um, in a film about a topic like this that involves a lot of money starts to draw up question marks, I, we felt. So we didn't want to take money, obviously, from the industry because they wouldn't be interested in this sort of thing. Um, but we didn't also want to take money from activists. So at the end of the day, it wouldn't be um, a film you know, an organizational film showing the dangers. We wanted to be as independent as we could be. And uh, it cost us a lot of money, obviously. How did you um, finance it then? Well, we, 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 we <laughs> um, the, the way we financed it is essentially is we paid from our own pockets. We uh, believed in the topic very strongly and we felt this film needed to be made. And we paid, yeah, we financed it from our own pockets. That's really incredible. You know, a lot of filmmakers, rather than getting investors, will actually have different people help contribute along the way to getting films done. And I understand where you're coming from about it. It's still a tremendous feat how you got it done. You know, that's a lot of countries you went to. That's a lot of expenses to do it, going and coming and camera work. But you are a director and cameraman, both, correct? I am. That's right. I, I shot a lot of it myself. Um, but I, if, if, I mean, when you look at the credits, I do have four or five other camera people that I that I hired. Um, I made sure that I paid everyone um, because I feel that you know this is this is my um, this is the film that I believe in. So I, I didn't want to put that burden on on people who I was working with. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, we did do a lot of I did do a lot of the filming myself. In the film. There is the mention that there has been no funding available to do correct studies that will obviously demonstrate that there is medical harm being done to people, that this is something over a 20-year period takes its own time to develop and that there's this huge amount of brain tumors and leukemia and children being at huge level of risk. I think one of the people you interviewed talked about the fact that if children or young teens or even people in their 20s begin using cell phones, that there's a very high percentage of conversion rates to brain tumors and leukemia. Do you remember what that was? Well, that's Dr. David Carpenter, um, who's saying that there's an obvious increase um, with the generations and the amount of tumors that we're seeing. And, you know, it's, we're, our generation, the older generation, I mean, we, we started using cell phones later on in our lives. Today, they're using them when they're 12 years old and, you know, 11 years old, 10 years old. 
they're using them for a lot longer time before they become mature adults. Um, you know, we yes, saw even you, teenagers, I, teenagers and young adults still are also using them heavily. Well, yeah, I mean, but but they're using them even preteen now. People in in fifth grade and, and and fourth grade have cell phones, and so they have this. We're talking about you know eight years or so before they even you know mature into adults, and then they're using it for the entire period of their young adult life. Um, young adults who are moving into their own places or have their own apartments don't bother getting landlines now. They're just using their cell phones. So you have this whole these entire generations that are just becoming entirely reliant on cell phones and who know no other technology and are are using it very heavily. They're very heavy users of this technology. Um, and with this, unfortunately, um, the scientists are seeing an increase in uh, in these tumors and in these and these various ailments. I mean, it doesn't stop at tumors. Um, you know, to, uh, ca- cancer is what's discussed. Um, you know, cancer is the number one disease that's discussed when talking about cell phones. But there's a whole range of other illnesses um, that are discussed in the film, obviously. Right, autoimmune diseases, and it goes on and on. So, I mean, fertility issues, auto, autoimmune diseases, down to simple things like recurrent, you know, acute headaches, um, you know, cr- chronic headaches. I mean, these are, this is the range that we're talking about. Uh, but people, people obviously just talk about cancer, but there's, there is this range of, of various illnesses that one has to worry about and one has to consider when using this sort of technology. I think what's also astounding is the amount of people now that are experiencing electromagnetic sensitivity. I, for example, went on a site called antennasearch.com in the United States. Yes. And I have to tell you, there's 400 antennas near where I live. (laughs) 436. It is so scary how heavily it's proliferated. That's just in my area. That's just right near where I live. They are multiplying so fast and new applications are being developed so quickly. My question to you is, do you sleep with any type of, not a Faraday cage, but any type of material around your bed? You shot a woman talking about how she has such electromagnetic sensitivity that she actually has something around her bed so that when she sleeps, the microwaves can't get in through her sleeping area. And I think that also it's interesting to note that most of us don't know that these microwave signals, frequencies, get in right through the walls. There's one easy way to tell that it's coming through the walls. If you have a cell phone and you're getting signal within these walls, that means you're getting the radiation within these walls. Um, you know, it's... I, I think it's there's a fine line between uh, taking added precautions and and trying to live your life. People who have electro hypersensitivity they need to take those precautions. They need to live within um, a Faraday cage. Unfortunately, she needs those blinds on her windows and that that film on her wall so that she can actually survive, so, so she can function as a human being. Uh, I mean, you know, knock on wood, I I don't have that same uh, that same issue. Uh, it doesn't mean that she's crazy. It means that she's probably an early warning system for the rest of us. Um, we don't suffer from the direct symptoms that she suffers from, but we might suffer, you know, uh, we might suffer later on if we don't take the precautions. Um, this is 
this is the reality of the situation. You talk about 430 antennas in your vicinity. Unfortunately, not even antennasearch.org has a comprehensive list. So there might even be more antenna in, in your area, um, which is a scary thought. They're, they're all around us. This technology is so pr prolific. Uh, what do you do? It's, uh, it's a difficult question to answer. I was just talking to a dear friend of mine from France who lives in Provence and I was telling her, you should try to get something going in France where at least you have a sense of where most of them are, like an antennasearch.com for each country. I think that that would be a good project, don't you? I think, I think it would be an excellent project. I know that, that there are groups in various countries who are trying to do this. And these things should be mandated. They should have to be transparent where they're going, where they're placed. I understand they're hiding them now in people's apartments, in their homes, on their roofs, putting trees around them or branches around them. They're hiding them in steeples, on churches. I mean, what's the reason to hide them? And they're paying off people who own homes and apartment buildings to put these antennas there. It's very scary. Well, they're paying, they're paying them off quite nicely as well. They're paying three to $4,000 a month. They say, they say they're hiding them for aesthetic reasons, that the homeowners association doesn't want to look at this ugly antenna, uh, that they don't want any opposition within the, uh, within the neighborhood to, to having this antenna go up. Well, it's possible that part of that is true, but true. I don't think the whole of it is true. No. I mean, and, you know, when you have it in a, in a public area and you have it disguised as a flagpole, I mean, to me, this is, this is the ultimate slap in the face. Um, a symbol of, of your nationalism and your pride and your freedom, um, and you're being, you know, radiated through this through this flagpole. Um, a lot of them don't even have flags because, believe it or not, the reason a lot of them don't have flags is because it costs the cell phone company too much money to send somebody to put a flag to to run a flag up and down on it. So they want this flagpole without even the without even having the flag on it. It's uh, it's a ridiculous situation. Now, I know that Peter Vallone Jr. spent five years fighting the cell phone industry and is still in a big battle. Is this in New York City or is this in another area? No, this is, a, this is in New York City. He's a New York City councilman. He's been uh, doing a lot of work. He's the representative for Queens and he's also the safety chair. He's been working on it very hard. Um, he's been coming up against a lot of resistance. You know, some people are, are listening to him now, but he's been coming up against a lot of resistance. It's a convenient, it's a convenient technology and people are, you know, especially lawmakers are getting a lot of money. Uh, people who, like you say, who are hosting these on their land or in their apartments or on their roofs are getting a lot of money. There's a lot of money involved and, and to try and fight this, um, the, the easiest way to, to combat somebody who's, who's fighting this based on the independent research is just to say they're crazy and, you know, just just saying that sort of discredits them. Uh, you have Professor Henry Lai from the University of Washington, for example, um, who the industry has has attacked on on many occasions because he he's he's trying to get the message out that this is dangerous technology, and and all they do is, is they dis they sorry all they do is they discredit him as a person, and rather than rather than try to come to some sort of solution uh, to work with these independent scientists and say okay. We're not going to admit that this is dangerous, but let's say there are better ways of producing this technology. Let's work together and try to find um, safer ways of, of making this technology. It's this, I, 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 often, I often try to draw the simile with, with the cars um, and say, 
you know, when cars first came out, they didn't have seatbelts in them. And the, the car industry didn't, the car industry didn't, sorry, the car industry didn't necessarily come out and say cars are dangerous, but they said, let's make them a little bit safer and put seatbelts in them. A few years later, they said, well, let's make them a little bit safer and put airbags. So this is the same sort of thing that the cell industry can do. And say, we're, we're not saying that they're dangerous. We're just going to make them safer. You can always make technology safer. I wonder what the kind of technology it is, if in fact that's really as true as a seatbelt or a, an airbag. I think the analogy is interesting. I'm not sure it's as defined or refined as the physics of microwave and what it actually does, because it is what it is, right? It's the substance that's being beamed and transported. That's the problem. So it's the very technology itself that's disruptive to human life and wellness. The other thing is that the communities, small communities who are in trouble are also being paid off to put cell towers and antennas there. And I want you to talk about that because that is very important, particularly in an economy that's suffering, in a global economy that's suffering, and people that are in dire need and that are suffering. For the cell phone companies coming to them and coming into their communities to pay them off and give them a stipend, most people would take it. And that is the treacherousness of this. Well, most people would take it because the other side of the coin is even more dangerous. The, the offer is either as, as a city council or a town council or a village council, either you take our money and we put up the towers or we sue you and win. And then you end up paying, you know, legal costs and, and paying court costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we still put up the towers and don't pay you. So those are the two options that, that people have. And I mean, oftentimes, and this, as you say, it's it, the economy is very dire. This, uh, the uh, the economy is very dire right now, and people would rather take the money than try to take them to court and lose the uh, court battle, and then end up uh, in the same situation they would have been if without the money, if they had just conceded at the beginning. But why would the company sue a community? Doesn't it have its own jurisdiction and its own ability to say no? We don't want it here. Well, not in the United States, at least. Uh, not, in, not in a lot of places in the world, but not in the United States. Why? The, Tele the Telecom Act of 1996 says that you can't stop this technology, essentially. Um, you can't use health as your, as your primary concern. The, the Telecom Act of 1996 says we want this technology to be spread everywhere. Okay, now the technology is spread everywhere. The, te the Telecom Act of 1996 needs to be updated and say, okay... I have cell signal on my phone. If, if it's for emergency reasons, I can make an emergency phone call no matter what network I'm on. So we need to redress the Telecom Act of 1996 and see how it applies today. But as it still stands, the local communities have no say. If the telecom industry wants to put a tower, essentially they can put a tower. Unless the, the city council comes up with some sort of ordinance, you know, based on antique buildings, for example. Um, besides this, really, their hands are tied. Lots of councils, um, lots of small communities have been sued and they've lost um, and they've lost the money. And, you know, this sort of discourages other com other communities from standing up to the industry because this is the go this is um, ultimately going to be the final resort unless you have some other, um, you know, some other clause that you can that you can use to defend yourself. So the Telecom Act of 1996 was a federal act. It's like a preemptive provision 
What would it take to have it reformed? I mean, obviously, the damage and the dangers are already laying inside massive amounts of infrastructure of cell phone towers and antennas. The question is, how do you stop the acceleration of the increase of this also? Well, unfortunately, the answer to that is an independent Congress. Congress gets a lot of money from the telecom industry, um, and so they vote alongside the telecom industry. Uh, this is this is one of the one of the main obstacles. I, I assume, like with the tobacco industry before it, it it will come to a point where, as 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 the ball is rolling now, um, it's becoming more and more obvious to more and more people. Um, so it becomes it becomes almost not worth the money, or or there has to be another way of of getting this money. Um, but as it stands now, the telecom industry is is funneling millions of dollars into Congress. And um, this is keeping the Telecom Act from being, uh, you know, revisited or 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 altered in any way. Um, and in, and in fact, uh, President Obama not not too long ago was looking at um, at legislation that would make it even more favorable for the telecom companies. So it's it's actually moving in in the opposite direction from where it needs to be going. Now, I understand that T-Mobile lost a case in New York. I want you to talk about that. And there are other cases coming up in Canada and New Zealand where citizens are standing up and not taking it anymore. But talk about that case with T-Mobile in New York. The T-Mobile case, essentially, they wanted to put the antenna on a roof. And um, they they came with a proposal to the uh, people living in the co-op building. And, you know, the people in the co-op building uh, read it over it seemed all right to them. Uh, they would make X amount of dollars every month. Um, you know, it, it seemed like a good deal to them. Uh, somebody, somebody came up to uh, to one of the tenants and said, "Look, we, we were reading about this. Let's do some research." They found out that it's not as safe and as, as they thought it would be, um, and uh, they decided they, that they wouldn't have it. Now they they were able to use a loophole in this case where the telecom company actually misrepresented the weight and size of the antenna. Um, so they weren't, um, they didn't go to court based on the health effects or the fact that the building would be liable if this antenna fell off the roof and hit somebody on the sidewalk, um, according to the contract. They, they, what they did was they said, look, you said it would be X amount of pounds. It's about four times that weight. Uh, we, we decided we don't want it. T-Mobile, uh, you know, they, they countersued them. It, it was in court for, for a few years. It went back and forth between uh, two different layers of court. And in the end, the court case was dropped by T-Mobile because, because the case in New York, as we've seen in other places in, in the country and other places in the world, if you stand up to them and if you, um, and if you have some sort of loophole that doesn't fall under the, the, the health, um, you know, it doesn't fall in the field of health. Like the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. <laughs> like the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Talk you about know, that. Share with the audience what that is. It's you know the the two two of my two of the lawyers in in the film the uh, Seymours have were defending a lady who suddenly found these antenna on a firehouse not far from her house. Um, she has two small children and she was worried about them. And they I guess they they went back and forth trying to find out what loophole they could use. And uh, they found, you know, there, there are some rare and endangered birds visiting this lady's property. And they decided to go with the Migratory Bird Treaty Act 
that protects all birds. Um, they're, you know, based on the risk that birds might fly into this antenna, um, they, they took this thing to court. And they said the Migratory Bird Treaty Act comes before the Telecom Act, um, so one can't cancel out the other because it's an international treaty. Um, the court is, the, the case is still in court, unfortunately. And, uh, I don't know which way it will come out, obviously, as, as with most court cases. But, but what's been shown with other cases is that if you're persistent and if you have a loophole, it becomes, you know, counter effective cost wise for these telecom companies to pursue it. So they say, Oh, we'll go somewhere else and do it. Uh, This is unfortunate for the people that live somewhere else. But if those people that live somewhere else also found a loophole, then you can have them, you can have the telecom companies on the, on the defensive. And this is where they need to be. They need to be on the defensive in order for, for us to find some sort of, you know, more general solution across the board. Right now they're on the offensive and they're using the telecom act as their basis to be on this offensive. So it's, it's finding these loopholes. It's, it's finding, as, as Peter Vallone is, as Peter Vallone mentions in the film, finding the, the dangers of having too much weight on a balcony, for example, taking the fire marshal back and forth to different buildings to, to try and find just this little ounce of hope here or there, which will overcome the Telecom Act. Um, health and safety concerns that have nothing to do with the, the radiation because you can't discuss that one. Um, and, and this is what they're trying to do. And, and as you mentioned, in some places they are being, they are finding success. Um, there, there are a couple of cases in, in New York, uh, in New York state. Um, you know, in, in France, there was another case. There, you know, people as they're becoming more and more aware are, are able to find these avenues, these back roads, shall I say, to, uh, to to removing these antenna or or stopping them from going up in the first place. Now, I know that one of the important things that I think it was Peter Malone was talking about was requiring the cell phone companies to provide community notice when towers are going up, even when they're thinking about putting it up somewhere, and also this co-location capability. What does that mean? Well, co-location means having more than one antenna um, on the same tower. Now, you, when you look at a tower, you see these white things on the sides of it. There are usually three or four or five or six, depending on the size of the antenna, right. uh, uh, size of the tower. Those are different antenna. Um, they all belong to the same company. So, I mean, the, the argument here is why not share these antenna and uh, instead of having, you know, four or five different towers and antenna in the same neighborhood, why not use the same antenna? I think I think the comp- I, I don't think the companies are interested in this because they don't want would, to cooperate. <laughs> they don't want to cooperate. They all want to make their buck. So so this is this is one problem. The 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 other issue that he was dealing with is um, inform us where the towers are going to go. Exactly, and why they need the towers at all in that spot. Well, he found resistance here um, in in the fact that people said, "Well, look, this is a security concern. We can't tell you where." Um, the towers are going up because of security. Um, you know, Peter Vallone made a very interesting remark that, that didn't actually make it into the film. He said, they tell people where the towers are going up in Israel. Are you saying that we have more security concerns than they do in Israel? Um, I, it, it was a very difficult road for him to take, and I, I, don't know, I don't know if he's had success since then. 
Uh, the last time we communicated, uh, he was still almost in the same in the same spot with us. But uh, in Portland, Oregon, is is a is a very interesting story. I showed the film there uh, a little while after it came out, and attending the film was a city council person and a state representative. And the city council person, um, after watching the film, um, they took this to their committee meeting. And they actually decided to make it more difficult to put these antenna in, uh, in in residential neighborhoods. They classified the town according, you know, from from one to four four zones, um, based on whether it's industrial, commercial, um, partly residential, or heavily residential. And they made it that much more difficult to put it in zones classified as residential. I think I that's think, great. I think this is the short the short term solution is put these on industrial buildings, put these on factories, put these away from schools, away from hospitals, away from children. This is, this is, these are the main concerns that we have, um, that the scientists in the film have. Uh, put them on industrial buildings, put them on commercial buildings, places where people aren't sleeping, because sleep is a very important part of the, of the life cycle where people, people's bodies actually start to repair themselves. So if they're still being inundated with all this radiation, they don't have this, this chance to repair their bodies the, the way they should do. So take them out of the residential areas. Uh, we're not saying eliminate them altogether because that at, at present is a little unrealistic. So take them out of residential areas and put them in industrial and commercial areas. That's the first step. And I think this is a solution, um, a temporary solution at least, that, that people can actually work on. And you still get your cell signal. Signals are really everywhere, aren't they? They're absolutely everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. What has been the reception, talk about reception, to your movie? I know it's probably just a feat to get it done and produced and in the can, edited, and then in a DVD format. But now that it's in a DVD format, are people buying it? Are you finding that there's resistance? Are you finding that they don't really want to know? Because people may feel like they have to get up and move, but even moving can be futile too, right? I, I think there's there are multiple forms of reactions to the film. The film traveled the festival circuit before we went on to DVD, and you know I spoke to people. I had you know Q and A sessions. I, I went to a lot of these festivals, and you know you see you see a lot of different opinions. You see, you see one one of the opinions is wow we we didn't even know about this. You know thank you for opening our eyes to this. Um, you see another opinion. Wow that's very that this is very scary information. And you see another one saying, ah, oh, these are, you know, I mean, what proof? I've seen proof that this is safe technology, blah, blah, blah. Now, the the group that I, I'm targeting with Full Signal are the people that don't know anything about this. I, I, I've said from the beginning that my film is not the the end-all, you know, form of information that, that should be out there, uh, by no means whatsoever. My My film is an introduction to the topic. Um, I am targeting the people that know nothing about it, and I and my goal isn't to scare them either. My goal is to make them aware. Now you're aware of this of this global debate. Go do your own research and make your own decisions, because those are the people that are really going to make the the correct decision, in my opinion. The people that are scared are going to have this um, you know reaction where they'll say where they'll be scared for a couple of days, maybe use their phone less, and then say. You know what? 
we're all gonna die anyway. So you know, what's the point in, in not using my phone? They're 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 the ones who are gonna use it as much as as the naysayers in the first place. Um, the idea is to is to get to these people and just inform them um, of this issue that's going out. We. You know, in, in Q and A sessions, I met a lot of a lot of people who said they knew nothing about this. Um, young people who, some of whom came to the theater by accident, or or who came to watch another film and by chance um, saw my film playing and decided to walk into to my film and watch that one, and said, "Wow, we we didn't even know about this." Uh, a lot of people actually, a lot of people like that. Um, I've been showing it in universities as well. Um, and it, it, it's, it sparks debate, but more often than not, I find that people just don't know about this issue. And this is, this is what brings me the most joy, um, and the, the most satisfaction really. Um, this is, this is the biggest reward for, for having made this film is that, is that people will come up to me at the end that said, we didn't know about this issue before we saw this film. And now we do. Um, and this, this for me, this is great. People are buying the DVD. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone that buys copies of the DVDs. Um, they're, you know, we we sell them all over the world, literally all over the world. Um, it's it's been translated into Spanish, Italian, German, French, Japanese, um, and Arabic, and uh, and people in in all those countries are are buying them. So uh, so that's fantastic. Uh, I feel I feel very fortunate that the message is getting out because this is this is the main goal. That's fantastic. Have you had any challenges yourself after the film was released? Any threats or any type of resistance around you? You know, I what I did was when I was working on this film, I essentially worked under the radar and I galloped through the film. I did I did all the research I needed to do so that by the time I go into production um, no one would catch wind of me going uh, of making this film. Um, you know, I was I was worried about the industry getting you know getting to me somehow um, and and convincing me not to carry on making the film. I was also worried about other people uh, thinking it was a good idea and making the film themselves. Um, but uh, you know, once the film is out and once it's on DVD, I guess you know, cats uh, out of the bag. Cats out of the bag, so no, nobody, nobody has come to me afterwards um, after the fact. What did you shoot it in? It was shot in HD on uh, on an EX3 camera, um, so it's it's in full HD. The DVDs, however, are, are just regular DVDs. They're not Blu-ray. They're just regular DVDs. You did a wonderful job. What's your next project, and is that something you can talk about, or what's your focus for the rest of this year? Um, I'm actually at the moment co-producing a, a series of four documentaries. Um, the, I've, I've gone back to making films about the uh, conflict here in the Middle East. Um, I, it's it's a, it's a very strong documentary. It's about the holy places here. Um, it's it's a project that's that's going to take us about a year and a half or two years to make. I'm I'm co-directing it with uh, with an Israeli director. Uh, it's a very exciting project. I think it, it'll be very powerful when it comes out. Um, after after which, I, I have a couple projects lined up that uh, we'll, we'll see which one I draw out of the hat. That's fantastic. Well, I really want to thank you for doing this, for funding it, for the methodical research you did. And I really want everybody to buy this and support it. It's called Full Signal, The Hidden Cost of Cell Phones. 
and it really is electrifying. Talel Jabari, I want to thank you so much for being our guest, and we hope to talk to you again. Good luck in the next project. Thank you very much for having me, Kim.